Chapter Three of Mary Ware in Texas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Blakey. Mary Ware in Texas by Annie Fellows Johnston. Chapter Three The Little Town of Bower mary was the only one to whom the change of plans made a vital difference she had built such lovely dream castles there winter in san antonio that it was hard to see them destroyed at one breath of course it's the only thing to do she said in a mournful aside to norman but did you ever dream that there was a dish of rare delicious fruit set down in front of you so tempting that you could hardly wait to taste it and just as you put out your hand it was suddenly snatched away that's the way I feel about leaving here. And I've dreamed of getting letters, too. Big, fat letters that were somehow going to change my whole life for the better. And then, just as I started to read them, I always woke up. And so never found out the secret that would make such a change in my fortunes. Maybe it won't be so bad after all, encouraged Norman. Maybe we can have a boat. There's a creek running through the town, and the Barnaby Ranch is only seven miles out in the country. We'll see them often. Mary wanted to wail out, Oh, it isn't boats and ranches and old people I want. It's girls and boys and something doing, being in the heart of things, as we would be if we could only stay here in this beautiful old city. The wail found no voice, however, for even in the midst of her disappointment, Mary remembered Jack and could not let him feel that this change in their plans meant any sacrifice for her. Besides, she had to acknowledge that the creek and the ranch did hold out some compensations, and she was deeply grateful to these two kind old people who had come to their rescue in such cordial neighborly fashion. Mr. Barnaby had been called into the family council also, and had spent the evening with them discussing prices and prospects. Even Norman was impressed by their offers of assistance, and spoke of it as he sat slowly unlacing his shoes after they had gone. Mary was in the next room, repacking her trunk, for it had been decided that she and Norman were to go to Bower on the early accommodation train when the Barnabys left for home. The door between the rooms was still open, and she heard him say thoughtfully, "'What do you suppose makes them so rattling good to us when we're just strangers?' Jack laughed and quoted teasingly, "'What makes the lamb love Mary so?' the eager children cry. "'Oh, Mary loves the lamb, you know,' the teacher did reply. "'Ah, oh, talk sense,' was Norman's disgusted answer. "'I don't know what you mean by that.' An understanding smile flashed between Jack and his mother, who had stayed to help him prepare for the night, and she answered for him. "'Jack only means that we get just what we give in this world, dear. From the days of Solomon it's been a proverb that the man who would have friends must show himself friendly.' And that's what you and Mary did the first night you met the Barnabys. You made them feel that you found them genuinely interesting, and that awakened a liking for you. But anybody'd find that old man interesting, Norman explained gravely. You never heard such Indian stories as he can tell. True ones that he's been in himself. And hunting, gee, you ought to hear him. I bid to sit next to him going up on the train. You're welcome to him, called Mary. I'll take Mrs. B. Then she came to the doorway, a pile of folded garments in her hands. I declare, she is just an old dear. She thought of so many ways to save us expense, 
since she found out that we have to economize. She even offered to have her two extra trunks checked on their tickets. They only brought suitcases, so we'll have no extra baggage to pay for. The sun was shining next morning, and although the chill of the norther was still in the air, the rain-washed plazas were greener than ever, and new roses were opening to take the places of the old ones that the storm had beaten off the day before. Mary's spirit seemed to have passed through the same refreshing process, for there was no trace of tears or regrets on the bright face that greeted her traveling companions. The only morning train was an accommodation, which carried much freight and took its own time for the journey. This happened to be a day when it was four hours on the road, but none of the little party felt that time dragged. Ordinarily, Mary would have enjoyed keeping close to the old ranchman, as Norman did, hopping off the car every time they stopped on a sidetrack to investigate everything along the way. The lime works, the rock quarry, the station where the mail was put off for the soldiers who were camped at the government reservation for target practice. Even the little oil-burning engine would have been of as much interest to her as it was to Norman, had she not been so busily occupied otherwise. As they wound higher and higher into the hills, she looked out now and then with a quick exclamation of pleasure at the view. But for the most part she was visiting with Mrs. Barnaby, as that good soul expressed it. Their acquaintance took long strides forward that morning. Part of the time Mary chatted along just as if her listener had been one of the Warwick Hall girls, and part of the time she listened to elderly views and confidences with the seeming sympathy of middle age. A bit of personal history from one called out a corresponding scrap from the other, and they had exchanged views on many subjects, ranging from young turkeys to unhappy marriages, when the porter passed through the train calling, Bower! All out for Bower! Mrs. Barnaby glanced out the window, saying in surprise, I had no idea we were so near home. Then she gave Mary's sleeve an affectionate little pat with her plump hand, exclaiming cordially, I declare, it's been a real treat to have you along. And Mary, as she helped Mrs. Barnaby struggle into her coat, responded, Well, I have enjoyed every inch of the way. Somehow you make me feel that you're just my age, or I'm just yours. I don't know which. You can't imagine how little and lorn I feel at the thought of leaving you. Oh, but I'm not going to leave you until you're safely settled, was the comforting assurance. James has some business at the courthouse that will keep him in town for an hour or so. As soon as we drop him there, I'll drive around with you to make arrangements about the cottage. There's Pedro now. They were on the platform by this time, and she indicated by a nod the slim young Mexican who had driven the carriage from the ranch to meet them. It was a roomy, old-fashioned carriage drawn by two big gray mules, with much shining nickel plating on their stout black harness. The station was half a mile away from the village, and as they swung down the sunny white road toward it, at a rapid gait, both Norman and Mary looked out eagerly at the place that was to be their home for a whole long winter, and maybe more. From a distance it looked almost like a toy village, with its red roofs, blue barns, and flashing windmills nestled against the background of misty hills. Low mountain peaks rose here and there on the far horizon beyond. This is a distinctly German village, you know, explained Mrs. Barnaby, as they passed a group of little flaxen-haired Teutons on the roadside who were calling to each other and their dog in a tongue which Mary could not understand. Bauer was settled by an old German count and a baron or two, who came over here with their families and followers. 
they made it as much like a corner of the fatherlands as they could and their descendants still cling to their language and customs they don't want any disturbing aggressive americans in their midst so they never call on newcomers and never return their visits if any of them try to make the advances they will welcome you to their shops but not to their homes even the english and the scotch people who have owned the outlying ranches as long as they have owned the town are looked upon as aliens and strangers in a way mary gave an exclamation of dismay texas certainly is full of surprises she said in a disappointed tone one thinks of it as being young and crude and with the proverbial hospitality of a new country i've always thought of it as having the latch-string out for everybody oh texas has mrs barnaby hastened to assure her its doors are wide open and its welcome corresponds to its size the biggest in the union but bower is different it has a few families who will not look on you with suspicion the old couple who owns the cottage which i hope to get for you will be good neighbors and if you were to live here a long time there are others who would be friendly then there are several american families who have found a foothold in the town and as i said english-speaking people on the ranches hereabout they are cultured refined people interesting to know but strangers coming here rarely make their acquaintance you see we have so many transients coming for their health staying just a few weeks or months and going on again it's hardly to be expected we'd her sentence was interrupted by a dashing girl in khaki and a cowboy hat astride a fiery little mustang she rode past the carriage calling out a greeting as she passed norman turned around exclaiming did you see that a cartridge belt around her waist and a six-shooter in her holster that's the wild west for you that's the sheriff's daughter explained mrs barnaby she's his deputy and meets the trains when it's necessary and he's out of town i'd like to know her said mary i'm glad that there's something to give one the kind of thrill you naturally expect to have out here i was beginning to have such a foreign far-away feeling seeing all these picturesque little german gardens with old women weeding in them we can imagine we are abroad this winter in cologne or potsdam or bingen on the rhine oh oh how quaint and dear the exclamation escaped her as the gray mule stopped at the gate of an old garden over whose stone walls arched a row of great pecan trees a straight path ran from the gate to the kitchen door stiffly bordered by coxcombs and prince's feather while on each side chrysanthemums and roses and a host of old-fashioned autumn flowers made the little plot a tangle of colors and sweet smells there were some beehives under the bare peach trees and at one side beyond them a small vineyard where the mockingbirds still sang noisily although the grapes had all been gathered and pressed into wine an old man with a flowing white beard and a high black hat sat on a bench by the kitchen door placidly smoking a long pipe that's mr metz said mrs barnaby preparing to alight come in with me it's all just like one of the pictures in joyce's studio commented mary as they followed the straight walk to the door and this is just like one of those lovely old master dutch interiors she added in a whisper as mr metz ushered them into the big clean kitchen where his wife sat knitting on the deep window-sill a cat lay asleep in the sun beside a pot of glowing red geraniums and there was such an air of cleanliness and thrift and repose about the room that mary could not help exclaiming aloud over it 
As she glanced around with admiring glances, her bright face showed its appreciation also, and Mrs. Metz watched it shrewdly while she talked with Mrs. Barnaby, in English so broken as to be almost unintelligible. What the old woman saw must have satisfied her, for she accepted Mrs. Barnaby's offer after a very short parley with her husband in German, and when they rose to go she bade them wait while she made a stiff little nosegay for each of them, cold from her garden borders and edged with strong-smelling mint. In the center of Mary's was one of her handsomest coxcombs. Mrs. Barnaby smiled meaningly when she saw it, and when they had climbed back into the carriage, said in a pleased tone, that shows that she has weighed you in the balance and is satisfied with the result. You'll get along famously with her, I'm sure, and we'll soon have you settled now in fine shape. An hour later, Mary stood on the threshold of the cottage she had rented, with the keys of possession in her hand. Thanks to Mrs. Barnaby and the rapid gait of the gray mules, much had been accomplished in that time. The groceries they had ordered were already piled on the table in the kitchen. A load of wood was on its way. The new mattresses they had bought at the furniture shop, kept by the undertaker of the village, were promised for delivery early in the afternoon, and they had been introduced at each place as friends of the Barnabys, who were to be charged home prices, and not the ones usually asked of strangers. Mrs. Barnaby was what she called plain-spoken, and although she made a jest of her demands, they carried weight. Their trunks three of which contained bedclothes and dishes, stood on the front gallery, waiting to be unpacked. Inside, the house looked as clean as soap suds, and fresh paint could make it. Mrs. Metz herself had attended to the scrubbing after the last tenant left, but Mary decided that she would feel more comfortable moving in after strangers if she should give the furniture a personal washing before they began to use it. While Norman built a fire in the kitchen stove, she unlocked one of the trunks and changed her traveling suit for a gingham dress and apron. "'Let's eat picnic fashion,' called Norman, and unpack afterward. "'It's nearly one o'clock, and I'm too hungry to wait. "'I've found a cup I can boil some eggs in, and if we don't use any dishes, we won't have any to wash afterwards.' "'That's a bright suggestion,' Mary called back. "'We haven't any time to lose if we are to get everything ready for Mama and Jack by tomorrow afternoon.' When she came dancing out into the kitchen a few minutes later, Norman had already begun his luncheon, and was walking around with a cheese sandwich in one hand and a pickle in the other, investigating the premises while he ate. Mary followed his example, and wandered from the open doorway to the open windows, looking at the view from each, and exclaiming over each new discovery. The house was on a slight knoll, with a wide cotton field stretching down between it and the little village. From this distance, it looked more than ever like a toy village, against the background of low hills. "'You ought to see it from the top of the windmill,' said Norman. "'I climbed up while you and Mrs. Barnaby were talking so long at the gate. I'm glad we've got a windmill. It'll save me a lot of pumping, and it makes such a fine watchtower. You ought to see how far you can look across the country. You can see the creek. It's just a little way back of our place.' "'I'm going up this minute,' answered Mary.' Slipping her unfinished sandwiches into her apron pocket, she ran out to the windmill and began to swing herself from one cross piece of the tower to another, as lightly as Norman had done. "'It's perfectly lovely,' she called back from the top. "'I'd like to perch up here all afternoon if there wasn't so much to do. I'm going to come up here often, 
It gives you such a high up above all your earthly ills feeling. There's St. Peter's, she called, over at the south end of town. I recognize the little stone belfry. What do you suppose that square tower is at the other end of town? Norman came out and climbed halfway up the windmill. Swinging there below her by one arm, as he slowly munched a ginger snap. Oh, that, he said, as he looked in the direction which she pointed. That's the sister's school. I asked Pedro this morning. It's the Academy of the Holy Angels. Mary's face glowed as she shook back the hair which the wind kept blowing into her eyes. That's perfectly fascinating, she declared. There's something beautiful to me in the thought that the little town we've come to lies between two such guardians. It's a good omen, and I'm not sorry now that we had to come. She stayed perched on the windmill, enjoying the view and eating her sandwiches until Norman called her that the wash water was boiling over on the stove. Then she climbed nimbly down and started toward the kitchen door. The kitchen was in an L of the house, and from its front window she could see the road which ran in front of the house. Just across it, half hidden by a row of bushy umbrella trees, stood two little blue cottages. They were within easy calling distance, and the voices of half a dozen children at play came cheerfully across to her. Although they spoke in a foreign tongue, the chatter gave her a sense of companionship. Norman, she suddenly suggested, let's stay here tonight, instead of going to the boarding house as Mama and Mrs. Barnaby arranged. I'm not afraid with neighbors so near, and I'm sure Mama wouldn't care if she could see how quiet and peaceful it is here. We'd be saving considerable. A night's lodging for two, and we can make this real comfortable and homey by bedtime. With the promise of hot biscuit and honey for supper, Norman agreed to her plan. He was to call at the boarding house and cancel the arrangements Mrs. Barnaby had made for them, when he went for milk which Mr. Metz had promised to sell them. It was from the Metz beehives they were to have the honey, too. She had engaged it as a special treat for Jack. Under her direction, Norman fell to work making a kitchen cabinet out of two old boxes while she scrubbed away at the chairs and tables. Isn't it funny the way history repeats itself, she remarked. This makes me think of the time that Joyce and Jack had getting settled in the wigwam. I felt so defrauded then because I couldn't have a hand in it, and this seems a sort of compensation for what I missed then. The exercise seemed to loosen her tongue, for as she worked, she went on, I'm truly glad that I can enjoy both the top and bottom crusts of things. Nobody, I am sure, could have squeezed more pleasure out of this last week than I did. I fairly reveled in all the luxuries we had as Mr. Robeson's guests. It comes so easy to be waited on and to be the fine lady. And on the other hand, it is a real joy to be working this way, blacking stoves and filling lamps and making things look spick and span. I can spend like a lord, and I can skimp like a scrub woman, and I really don't know which I enjoy most. She did not attempt to put any finishing touches to the house that day, but left such things as the hanging of curtains and the few pictures they had brought until the next morning. But before she stopped, everything was shining, her room was ready for the night, and a cot was made up for Norman in the room which he was to share with Jack. Later, while she waited for the biscuits to bake and for him to come home with the milk and honey, she wrote a letter to Joyce. She did not take time to go to the bottom of her trunk for writing material, but, emptying the sugar from a large paper sack, 
cut it into several square sheets with a big tin pan turned bottom upwards in her lap for a desk she hastily scribbled the events of the day with a lead pencil which she sharpened with the carving knife joyce has that letter yet it was scribbled in the most careless commonplace way just as mary would have told it had they been together but joyce who could read her little sister like a book read between the lines and divided the disappointment she had conquered and saw the courage it took to make the most of every amusing incident in such a cheery way while she touched only lightly on the serious ones we had a visitor a little while ago wrote mary in closing the rev paul rochester came to call and where of all awkward impossible places do you suppose he found me up on the windmill tower i had gone up again to watch the sunset for just a minute the glow on the roofs of the town and the hills beyond was so lovely if norman had had any sense he would have ignored my high perch he was splitting kindling by the back door making such a noise that we could not hear mr rochester's knock at the front door so we came around mrs barnaby had stopped at the rectory on her way home to tell them about our coming to town and mrs rochester thought that we were all here and that we would be so busy getting settled that we wouldn't have much time to cook things for an invalid and she had sent the most tempting basketful of good things you ever saw there was orange gelatin and charlotte russe and some delicious nut sandwiches the rector had walked all the way up here and carried the basket himself you know i've always stood in awe of clergymen at first this one seemed fully as dignified and reverend as all the others and i nearly fell off my perch with embarrassment when he looked up and saw me hanging there like a monkey on a stick but the next moment we both laughed and he seemed almost as young and boyish as jack i scuttled down in a hurry i assure you he only stayed a minute just long enough to deliver the basket and his wife's message but you've no idea how that little incident changed the whole atmosphere i'd been looking down the white road that leads from our place into the town thinking how lonely and foreign everything was and how hard it would be to live all winter in a place where nobody wanted to be neighborly and where the only people we knew were slightly old like the barnabys or awfully old like the metzes and then mr rochester appeared young and so nice-looking and with a jolly twinkle in his eyes that makes you forget the clerical cut of his clothes his wife must be young too or she couldn't be married to him and she must be dear or she wouldn't have sent such a dainty altogether charming basket with her message of greeting you've no idea how their cordial welcome changed everything now as i look through the open door at the same road leading to the town it doesn't look lonely and foreign any more it makes me think of a verse that dear old grandmother ware taught me once you remember how she used to take us up in her lap and make us spell the words out to her from her big bible with the terrible pictures the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth well grandmother's verse is coming true it was all so crooked and uncertain and rough yesterday but now everything is being smoothed out for us so beautifully i have just looked out to see if norman is coming i can hear him whistling away down the road i wish you with your artist's eye for effect could see the little town now spread out below the hills in the twilight with the windmills silhouetted against the sky 
At one end is the little stone belfry of St. Peter's, at the other the square gray tower of the Academy of the Holy Angels, and just between, singing low over the hills in the faint afterglow, the pale golden crescent of the new moon. After all, it's a good old world, Joyce, and I feel it in my bones that little old Bower is going to bring us some great good that shall make us thankful always for having come. In some way, I am sure, all our rough ways shall be made smooth. End of chapter 3